Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Mitch Randall, CEO of Good Faith Media. Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We publish more than 100 titles under the Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org forward slash bookstore. Today's guest is Steve Nichols, author of Modern Life, Ancient God, A Spiritual Journey in the Age of Science. He is joining us remotely from Williamsburg, Virginia. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, Steve, we're really glad that you are here with us today. We're really excited about the new book that was just released. A standard question we ask authors of Good Faith Reads, tell our listeners in a couple of sentences what the book is about. The book really tells the story of my spiritual journey. Um, And, uh, you know, my concern was just to try to articulate what I've lived through in a way that, you know, I could understand it and make sense of it. And hopefully it will mean something to other people and help them as well. Steve, I really enjoyed working through the material. It was very outstanding. Loved all of the personal narratives that you provided. But one of the things that kept reoccurring in the text was this tension between the sacred and the secular. Could you describe briefly to the audience what those delineations are between the sacred and the secular? I think for um, us as modern people, um, there is a challenge, a spiritual challenge that we all face that really uh, is a product of um, this division of life and thought into the secular and the sacred. And and that really is a structural feature of modern life. It is a product of the modern historical development. You know, if you go back to medieval European civilization, there, there was no division into secular and sacred. But over the last 500 years, with all of the uh, things that have happened that brought us from medieval life to the modern world, this division into secular and sacred has emerged and I think is is a structural feature that we all live with uh, every day. You know, on the side of the sacred, you've got religion the religions. Um, On the side of the secular, you've got pretty much everything else. You've got science and technology and industry and commerce and entertainment and pop culture. So, you know, you've got these two independent elements that really um, are uh, features of modern life. And we all have to negotiate that structural division in our spiritual lives. Um, I grew up with that. You know, when I was a child in Annandale in the 1960s, uh, you know, my parents, we we went to church every Sunday, First Baptist Church of Annandale, Virginia. Uh, We went to church on Wednesday nights, you know, for fellowship dinners. But the rest of the week, you know, it was school, it was cars, it was sports, it was popular science magazine, hot rod magazine, and all of that, it it wasn't anti-religious, it wasn't against religion, it just ignored it, it was just its own separate thing. So for me personally, I kind of bounced back and forth between doing the church thing 
on Sunday and Wednesday nights and the rest of the week doing the secular thing. And that, you know, that just was the way I grew up. It just felt normal to me. There wasn't any conflict between those two things. It was just, I did one, then I did the other, back and forth, secular, sacred, secular, sacred. But then when I got to be, uh, you know, an adolescent and became a little bit more introspective, it, it felt like an internal division. It felt like there were two sides to me, uh, the religious side, the contemporary secular side. And it felt like those two things, you know, operated on different principles. They even had different vocabularies. I mean, there were words I used in church that I never used in my everyday life and vice versa. So it was like there are these two sides to my makeup. And so for me, really the spiritual uh, journey has been trying to overcome that internal division and find a spiritual place uh, beyond the division of life into secular and sacred. And Steve, one important facet of this book is that you are a man of science. And I found that fascinating that you're having this conversation regarding faith and science as a person of both science and faith. There is a misnomer in the culture these days that a majority of scientists are atheists or agnostic. But what we're discovering at Good Faith Media is that there are a lot of wonderful, faithful people practicing their faith and Christians who are scientists and, and people of science. And you talk about the importance of worship when it comes to your faith and how you understand both faith and science. Could you walk us through a little bit about that conversation? You know, when I was a child uh, growing up, going to church, um, I realize now looking back, um, I, I, at the time, you know, I wasn't able to subconsciously reflect on all this, but, but for me, worship was a very important thing. I mean, that was the reason we went to church was to worship God. And um, the sanctuary itself was a sacred place. I remember as a kid, my parents wanting me to be respectful in the sanctuary. You, you didn't gossip, you know, in the sanctuary before the service started. You didn't run up and down the aisle of the sanctuary. The sanctuary was a sacred place. And during the act of worship itself, um, you know, the, the whole point of the service was to bring us before God and, and worship of God. Um, so for me, really, um, experientially, in my own individual life, you know, I've said this division into secular and sacred is a structural historical feature of our age. But for me individually, the way I was drawn into this division was in worship at church, because in church, in worship, something happened there that didn't happen anywhere else. You know, the worship service brought me before God in worship, and we sang praises to God, we prayed to God, we worshiped God, and that was a qualitatively different kind of experience from anything I experienced anywhere else. So, you know, I say late in the book that, you know, worship is how we approach God. And I really think that's true. The human avenue to God is through the act of worship. And so for me as a child growing up, worship, public worship is how I met God and came to know God. Um, and and um, so worship is, uh, 
it is the avenue to God. Um, and really, the division for me into secular and sacred, you know, you go, to, for me, growing up, you go to church to worship God, the walls of my church kind of separated the, the sacred within from the secular without, you know, go to church, you worship God, then you leave church, you go back to your secular life. I mean, that, that's the division right there. And that's the importance of worship. It is a different kind of experience. It, it brings us before God. As a person of faith and science, do you see both perception and reality when it comes to the divine? Uh, because when we worship, we are leaning our perceptions about God into our worship. And in science, there's a lot of things that we discover about God that are tangible. I guess I would say this, um, you know, I think there's a difference between um, thinking about God and experiencing God. And, and we all have ideas running through our minds. And if we want to think about God, we use our religious ideas to form conceptions of who God is and, you know, how God relates to us. All that happens, happens at the level of our ideas. But the ideas we roll around in our minds, that's not the same thing as actually experiencing God in worship. So, you know, um, ideas are important. I think it's important for us to work through our religious ideas, the way we think about God, and, and people have been doing that for thousands of years, and it's important for us to try to be as clear about our ideas and to be as internally consistent as we can, but thinking about God and experiencing God's presence are two different things. In worship, we worship in order to be in the presence of God, uh, not to just merely think about God. The, the, the book in itself really challenged me. It made me think about this tension, which we think is a healthy tension between faith and science and how we think about God and how we experience God. So that is something I really appreciate about the book and uh, how you conveyed that uh, within the material that was presented. You know, I actually think that the rise of the secular in the modern West, I think it's providential. I do not think that the secular is anti-religious in principle. I don't think science is a bad thing. I mean, everybody in the world is using cell phones today. Science is not gonna go away. And, and I think science, you know, I'm, I'm a physician by training. We would be nowhere in our care for our fellow human beings in medicine were it not for science. So, um, you know, science is not a bad thing. The secular is not a bad thing. I, I think that, um, you know, this place that we are in history, there's a lot of possibilities, a lot of spiritual possibilities inherent in the present moment that um, the modern development has made possible. So I'm a big believer in science, but I'm also a big believer in faith. And, and um, I, I do not think that the secular is incompatible with a spiritual life, with worshiping God. Um, and that's what I really try to show in the book, that, that you can embrace the modern world, modern life, just as it is. You know, I believe our faith 
speaks to all of that and is relevant to all of that. It's not that we have to only live in a certain kind of culture for Christianity to mean something. It means something anywhere, any place, all places, all times. Um, and so I'm just trying to show that in the modern world, um, you know, our faith has a place and a purpose and a meaning um, and show how that works. Well said. We'll be right back with more Good Faith Reads. Arms folded, feet pacing the floor. It's written all over your face. The body doesn't hide our true feelings. It disregards promises made to keep the peace or just keep it to ourselves. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. We're giving our listeners a hand when discerning body language. That's our focus in season three. The church is called the body of Christ. So what does our body language say about perennial and pressing hot button issues? What's costing us an arm and a leg? Who do we give the cold shoulder and keep at arm's length? When have we put our foot in our mouth or turned a blind eye? Why are we still sitting on our hands? Where do we toe the line? And why is the kingdom that is coming not on the tip of our tongues? In season three of the Raceless Gospel podcast, we'll address these questions in eight episodes, and I hope you'll be all ears. The Raceless Gospel podcast is looking at body language. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Episode one drops on May 5th. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today, we're joined remotely by Steve Nichols, author of the Good Faith Media book, Modern Life, Ancient God, A Spiritual Journey in the Age of Science. I'm Mitch Randall of Good Faith Media. Steve, this is the third edition of the book. Tell us a little bit about the history of the book and your writing and rewriting and updating process. When I got to college and started asking questions and started thinking uh, very explicitly and seriously about matters of faith, um, I mean, I, I even before then I thought about this stuff. And you know, in high school, I would borrow books from our associate preacher at church, and then we'd discuss them. But you know, in college, it felt like you know I'm starting to live my own life, and I really need to get my myself together. And you know one thing led to another and I started having more questions than answers and um, trying to work all this stuff out in my own life. Um, uh, you know, it just felt like I went from one problem to another and somewhere in my late twenties, early thirties, I just got the idea that, you know, I want to get past all this stuff. I want to hit 40 at full stride was kind of the way I framed it in my own mind. And I didn't even really know what that meant. I just knew that in addition to my career, my personal life, you know, there was all this energy going into sorting out all my spiritual questions. And I hoped that by the time I was 40, I would be beyond all this stuff. Well, I turned 40 and I started writing about it. I mean, that was my way of, you know, initially trying to get past all of this. So the summer after I turned 40, uh, which was 1997, I started writing 
it took me 14 years to get the first edition done. I mean, that's how long and arduous a process it was. And most of this happened between 10 at night and two in the morning, you know, after my son went to bed and I had to get and go to work in the morning. So I couldn't work any later than two at night. But uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, by 2011, I had the first edition done. I probably would not have called that the first edition, except all my family and friends kept saying, Steve, you've got to call it quit to this thing. You just got to, you know, finish it and get it over with. And so I, I kind of conceded that. And a friend of mine's wife, you know, um, sort of helped me self-publish it and just throw it up on Amazon. Nobody saw it or read it. And I really didn't care because I really wasn't happy with it. You know, it really didn't articulate what I wanted it to say. So I started working on the second edition. And in that, I started incorporating into the appendix questions and answers that friends had had for me in my Sunday school class at church. You know, we studied it and they had a lot of really good questions that I hadn't thought about. So I came up with this second edition three years later, but I still really just wasn't happy with it at all. And after I uh, retired, quit working, um, I had more time on my hands and I was able to then revisit, you know, earlier stages of my life, revisit this book. And I just said, you know, I'm going to go through this thing. I'm going to go through it word by word. And I'm just going to really bear down on this thing and just make it read the way I want it to read. Just kind of move the words around, the punctuation, have it just capture what I'm trying to say. And um, so finally, you know, um, last year, I kind of got it to a place that I was pretty happy with it. And I sent it to Glenn Henson, who I met in college, you know, when I was a senior. And he's the one who sort of moved me in the direction of sort of uh, religious devotion, contemplation. Um, and um, so he really, I mean, he, he changed the whole course of my spiritual life. And after I got this third edition pretty much done, I just sent a copy to him. I said, Glenn, you know, I want you to read this because I want you to see the impact you had on me. The whole direction of my life changed because of you. And Glenn was, of course, very appreciative that I, you know, um, acknowledged his impact. Uh, in the book, but he also said, Steve, you know, this might help other people. You should do something with this. And so he sent me to uh, Nurturing Faith, to Good Faith Media, and, and that's how it all came about. We are very glad that you did, Steve, and we appreciate uh, all the hard work that you put into the book, and it is outstanding. And for those of you who want to order the book, go log on to goodfaithmedia.org and look up Steve Nichols. It is a fabulous book. Well, before we ask you to read an excerpt of the book, I've got one last question for you, Steve, and that is, if there were one truth that people could take from this material, what would that major truth be that you would want to convey? It would be that uh, religious faith um, is important in the modern world, and that there's nothing about the modern world. There's nothing about this division into secular and sacred. There's nothing about science and technology and the world of modern commerce. There's nothing about the modern world that um, is antithetical to faith. Um, faith 
has a real place in this world and it's important for people of faith to engage the modern world. An important note to all our listeners, we at Good Faith Media are always accepting book proposals. Our authors engage with an experienced team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. If you have a book proposal you'd like to run by us, head on over to goodfaithmedia.org forward slash bookstore for more information. That's goodfaithmedia.org forward slash bookstore. Steve, I wonder if you might read for us a sentence or two from the book that you think is critical for listeners to hear, either because it represents the book or because you think it's especially important for folks to hear right now. In the appendix to the book, there are just lots of questions and answers. And these questions come from my friends and family. You know, I've had several earlier editions of the book that we've studied in Sunday school and uh, friends of Red, we've talked about. And so I've just, through the years, written down all the questions people had. And in the appendix, included some of those questions and answers. So um, I, you know, one of the questions and answers that speaks to some of the stuff we've talked about today is, uh, is this question out of the appendix. The question reads, you seem ambivalent towards science sometimes complimentary, sometimes critical. How do you explain this? So here's my answer. I embrace what science tells us about empirical objects and relations. We're fortunate to have our modern scientific methods. I'm not ambivalent in this regard. My issue isn't with science itself but with the use of scientific findings to draw conclusions about God. We collect empirical data on, say, electron flow through a semiconductor or the products of a chemical reaction, or what might seem even better, empirical data that bears directly on Big Bang cosmology. Analyzing this data, we gain a better understanding of the phenomena. Fine, but then what? Armed with this knowledge, we leave the field of study to construct intellectual arguments about God? No, that's not science. And in my view, it's wrongheaded regardless of the conclusions. God is not an empirical object. These arguments may follow the rules of logic and contain the word G-O-D, but they have nothing to do with our spiritual relation to the living God. Contemplation of the natural order may open us to God, but investigating this order scientifically, then constructing an intellectual argument is a spiritually empty exercise. Using science to render judgments about God, which is different from a secular analysis of religion, illustrates a cultural trend. In our secular age, some people channel their religious impulses into the scientific enterprise. Whether they're for or against God, science is their de facto religion. So that's the answer. Thank you, Steve. That was wonderful. Our guest today on Good Faith Reads has been Steve Nichols, author of Modern Life, Ancient God, A Spiritual Journey in the Age of Science. The book, along with more than 100 other titles, is available at, as both a print book and ebook at goodfaithmedia.org 
forward slash bookstore. Steve, we appreciate you being our guest today. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for giving me the chance to talk about the book.